played this record as frequently as possible. Then, as it becomes easier for you, play the record once a day or as needed. Welcome back, Buckcoin. Before the show, I want to tell you about a guy I know. His name is Christopher Unsuth. Very nice fellow, but personality. Hello, hello. Spends all day on our Bitcoin, spreading the gospel of Bunchbolt coins. But first, there's just one thing we need to learn to spell. And our gold millinery has two L's. Joshua DeRose found Vermin Supreme. Guys were an L-shaped boot in his bean, but still. We gotta use two L's, we gotta learn to spell. Pre-optimization is evil, y'all. Don't let autistic expression prevent you from spelling correctly when you want to. Correct spelling can take you anywhere. So welcome back for the fourth episode of Unconfirmed Transactions. I'm Dan Anderson, and I'm here with... Tone Face. Yet again, he's come back. This is a part two almost. For And today we're going to be talking about the recent digital currency and blockchain technology congressional hearing. You may have saw it on YouTube. It was streaming. And um, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about Bitcoin. We're going to be talking about regulation and if it's possible to regulate and what it the discussion with regulators should be and where it's at. So let's begin. All right. Thanks, Dan. Or drop lister, as everybody knows you by. Yes. Um, all right. So we'll we'll kick right into the hearings. So I got an email about these hearings from the Digital Chamber of Commerce about 30 minutes before the start of the hearings, which was great. I mean, sometimes it's good to be on emailing lists. Um, I immediately popped it into a bunch of group chats, and many of us were in the group chat watching uh, watching it live. Um, there were, I think they got up to like about 150 live viewers for a congressional hearing, uh, which I would think is pretty good. I don't know. I don't normally watch congressional hearings. Uh, I don't know about you, Dan, but uh, for me, this was uh, one of the few, unless it involves Bitcoin, I really don't watch them, though I probably should. I rarely, I rarely watch them live um, in the chat, and this one was blowing up, but I do, I do check them out. So I'm really, I, I watched, so... There's a committee called the Homeland Security Committee that I like to watch because they're usually talking about how they're going to spy on people. Um, I remember in 2008 watching uh, the Homeland Security talking about how Lindsey Graham was basically saying, like, I don't believe the Supreme Court would rule that the homeland is not part of the battlefield. And I brought in I was at the time studying political science and I was ranting in these debates about how, you know, like they're going to use drones in the U.S. to surveil people, and I was told, oh, your 1984 worldview is is not real. It's not the case, and it just came out recently. The FBI admitted that they've been using drones to surveil on U.S. soil since 2006. No, I'm not surprised at all. Uh, I mean, the, the answer that I usually get, I know we make fun of it, but people actually give this answer, and uh, their reasoning is, well, what do you have to hide? Yes. That, have that, you heard actual... Mm-hmm. Friends of yours, relatives of yours, say that to you. Well, what do you have to hide? Everyone says that. And Edward Snowden has a very simple response to that. If you feel like for privacy, if you have nothing to hide, who? why do you need privacy, okay? Now apply it to free speech. If you have nothing to say, why do you need free speech? 
So like if you just recontextualize it like that, sometimes it can drive it home again for people. Yeah, no, I never really thought of it that way. Uh, but it, it it's a it's a tough stance. And people today I, I think it's turning. I really think the tide is turning. People are starting to see privacy a little more seriously or to take privacy a little more seriously. Uh, what were your thoughts on when the 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 fappening file was released? This is the giant file of a lot of nude celebrities, actresses, uh, singers. Uh, when that was released, because they hacked Apple's iCloud, I believe, and they got the photos of all these um, famous actresses and released all their private nude photos. What what were your thoughts on that? What was your reaction to that? I mean, I wasn't surprised because I knew already how how easy it was to hack those things. But you know, I definitely looked up those photos. I mean, I'm an American. I want I I I I like I like celebrities. I I have a friend who told me like the thing that makes Americans different is how celebrity focused they are. They know all the actors' names, their backstory. They know all these things. And uh, for for him or in his, I think he was uh, a European. He was saying that they less focus on celebrities but i guess the question is what did i think about it i don't know i watched those i looked at those photos i i take other people's privacy for granted and i think that's i think that's you know people always think it'll be somebody else and not them all right so let me ask you this question then um so there were a lot of people that came out and even like privacy advocates and they came out saying no, these people deserve their privacy. You shouldn't download those. You shouldn't look at those. Um, so there were people that were trying to convince the public that you should let these people have their private moments and that you should not download those files and you should not look at it. And what were your thoughts on these people saying that publicly? Uh, I mean, again, I did look at the photos, but I, I, people said that. I mean, I just felt like... I don't know. I guess social justice warrior or something like like I don't know. I I publicly disagreed with those people. So you looked at the photos. Um, honestly, I barely looked at the photos. Okay. Um, but you wouldn't yell at people for looking at the photos. <laughs> I was encouraging people to look at the photos. Okay. 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 Even though I wasn't really actively looking at them myself, and there was a reason for that. The reason I was encouraging other people to look at those photos is because. Uh, the FBI looks at those photos all day long. So does the NSA. Those stories have already came out. They they had those backdoors. And there are so many stories about the CIA and the FBI and all these government agencies having access to all this stuff. And they're just, you know, showing it to each other at the office. Right. Look, how, it, look how deeply you can see into these people's right. lives. But like, right. that's also happening to you. Right. In addition... I was also saying everyone should broadcast these photos because it was Apple's responsibility to keep these photos private. Uh, people should be allowed to send uh, naked pictures or whatever they want to the people that they want to send them to because there is an inherent trust. And if the person they're sending these pictures to breaks that trust, well, then that's a problem. That's a contract between two consenting adults. Uh, but the medium of sending these photos needs to protect the data. And Apple wasn't protecting the data. So to me, the more people saw these photos and the more public this incident became, the more seriously Apple will take its security features. 
And this happened about two years ago. Mm-hmm. And maybe Apple finally listened. Yeah, they're coming around. So, but right now, uh, and we're going to talk about this uh, this meeting in a second. But right now, encryption is a big boogeyman in government. Um, you know, it pe- like so can we have a backdoor to encryption? Blah blah blah. So, you know, the f- at the very foundation of Bitcoin, it's essential that the you have strong cryptography. You know, unbreakable cryptography is like the basis of what one of the basis that makes Bitcoin work. Um, and these hearings, which may seem mundane, may seem esoteric often, like a lot of times what you see in these meetings is what you'll see years later into policy. Yeah. And that's why they're important. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we'll, we'll get into the hearings in a second. I don't know if you want to keep this conversation going about no, like this conversation. Uh, yeah. encryption and privacy a little bit longer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, oh man, I just had a thought that might have jumped out. Um, so back to this, oh, the Apple case. Right. Oh, you're talking about encryption. Yeah, so it, Obama slipped up. Uh, did uh, you? Oh, oh man, yes. we should we, we we should get that clip. Oh, uh, man, maybe, maybe we'll put that clip in the show notes. We'll have to I, drop it in. I, yeah. I don't know I if we're. I don't know if you want to. Um, Everyone's heard it at this point, though. If you're following Bitcoin, yeah, um, yeah, everyone has heard it. But it would be nice to play the actual clip. I mean, I I know our friends that have a podcast. They have a rule: no uh, no live math on the show. Right. Um, I think no live googling uh, to play uh, videos. Um, on the show is probably also not a good That's idea. A good idea yeah, yeah. But Obama was speaking about encryption and his him, like any other politician, is critical of it and he was talking about all the bad things encryption will do and at the end he said, he didn't mention the word Bitcoin, but he said, well, it's like everyone walking around with a Swiss bank account in their in pocket. The pocket. Um, which is a terrible analogy. We should fetishize s- our phones. <laughs> That's what he said. We shouldn't fetishize our phones. I really I actually heard him the Swiss bank account thing. It was part. It was both. Oh, it was, I don't it was like that part. It, they were both part of it. Oh, okay, so I heard him say like like people would be walking around with Swiss bank accounts in their phones, which I think is a is a terrible analogy, because there are no more private Swiss bank accounts. They gave that up. The U.S. called them and said we want the data, and they said how fast do you want it? Yeah, if it was a Swiss bank account, they get in there real quick. Yeah. <laughs> um. So what you can have in your phone. Um, is way more secure and private than a Swiss bank account. And that's what these hearings were on. That's a good point. That's a really good point. And and it's also kind of, it was like at South by Southwest or something. Like, that's where he's making these statements. So I guess he's, you know, pleading with the youth to not encrypt. <laughs> Uh, it's gonna be it, it, it's going to be an interesting development because they realize it. Look, for me, for me, the only thing that matters even more than freedom of speech is the freedom of financial privacy because you can speak with your money. If you have full access to your money, you can say whatever you want with it. You can donate it to who you like. You, If you have enough money that nobody can touch, you can, uh, I don't know, become a podcaster. Um, you can, you kind of need some, it, it's hard to be uh, just a podcaster, especially if it's your full-time job, you need money. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I, I think freedom. Of, I think you get a lot of your freedom of speech with money. This is why sometimes people demonize the rich, uh, mm-hmm. because the rich have the ability to say what they want and the means for other people to hear it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts on that are. Well, the interesting thing that I like about Bitcoin and this it, um, financial privacy, but also almost like financial sovereignty. So, like, and I'm not like I am not a libertarian. I'm very I, I usually bash on libertarians, but um, 
there's something about Bitcoin where, you know, they, they have to demonize it as being like for terrorists and for like violent, scary people. But um, all you're relying on is just math and really large numbers that can't be cracked. And so you can bring your army at me, but like I cannot like you won't break through my defenses necessarily. Right. And so it's like almost this uh, ultra nonviolent, but ultra effective defense against like really violent and very powerful adversaries, i.e. the state. Uh, and they want you to worry about terrorists and these small groups who are statistically insignificant and ignore the fact that like they're the 800 pound gorilla that really matters. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And Again, it comes down to financial privacy. I mean, they demonize uh, terrorist organizations, and that's a keyword for me. There's like certain keywords that I just listen to in presentations and conversations. And there are certain keywords I hear, and after that word happens, I'm like, like everything changes. Like I'm in a lot of these uh, privacy debates, and I just wait. Okay, how long will it take for someone to say the word child porn? Trigger warning. Yeah. And how long will it take for someone to say the word terrorist? Trigger warning. And uh, and the, the the word terrorist like it bothers me when when it's used in context because the context is hard and when a, especially a person of authority uses it and I get to ask a question to the speaker I always say can you please define what a terrorist is because no, it's not no. an easy it's not an easy answer so I and, and they're throwing these words out there and I want. A definition. I want their definition and I want the real definition because you know what? It usually boils down to, well, people we don't like. Yeah, it's who they say it is. Yeah. All, yeah, exactly. it's, it's always who they say it is. Yeah. And they like they, they like it defined that way. And I don't mean they in a conspiratorial way. I, mean, I just mean the state, you know. They, right. <laughs> because, because the state, they need these people to have their jobs. Like the, the more inefficient things are, the more they're needed. So they're employed because of these tactics. They're employed because of the things that they've deemed illegal. Mm -hmm. If they legalize a lot of the mutually beneficial arrangements between two adults, um, at least half the government will probably be unemployed. Mm -hmm. My guess. Yeah. No, I, I mean, sometimes when people talk about the state, I don't like to talk about the state so much. I like to talk about, I, I, for me, this is like, again, off topic. We're getting into more other areas but for me the state is just like a, a protection racket and if you didn't have the state you'd have a different protection racket and the state basically they monopolize the violence so they can sell you safety and they right <laughs> you know it, it's just a market force <laughs> or something like that all right so let's let, 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 let's jump into the hearings yes absolutely. uh we're already uh 20 minutes in here all right so uh the hearings took place was this yesterday yeah, this, this was this just was yesterday. yesterday. This, okay. this, this took place on March 16th, 2016. Yeah, March 16th, 2016. Uh, there were Senate hearings. There were uh, six uh, people testifying to Congress. Uh, and these are Bitcoin experts in yes. uh, one way or another. Um, some of them questionably Bitcoin experts. But these were the people that were selected to testify to a committee. And uh, it was... The senators really did not do any research. That's what it felt like to me. Uh, they were really just depending on these people uh, to tell them what Bitcoin is and where it's going and digital currencies in general and this whole thing with the blockchain. And they really just depend on these speakers coming in, which is a bit unfortunate because 
you don't know who's coming in. You mm-hmm. you don't really know how knowledgeable uh, these people are. And I've, my experience has always been watching several hearings like this, but they've all been in the Bitcoin space because that's my interest these days. And I'm like, wow, are these the types of people they bring in for other things that they make laws on? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's... It's really interesting to me. I well, the, u- the, u- the usual hearing will pull in maybe agency-specific people. So, like, the Congress has all these agencies in the government, and they bring in, like, the agency head to kind of, like, talk about things. Maybe they'll have some industry people. But this was almost exclusively an industry panel, which is a little unique, I think. Maybe not. Maybe someone in the chat will tell me otherwise. Hey, Paul, you, uh, Paul I'm going to edit this out for the podcast, but Paul said specifically something about how violence is probably inefficient because of all the death. But, you know, you need to have a certain level of centralization and monopolization of violence to have things like wars uh, projected across, you know, thousands of miles, large supply lines, nuclear weapons, et cetera, et cetera. So um, if we didn't have that thing, we might not have that level of violence possible. Anyways, <laughs> sorry. Uh, no, I just, no, I like, I like, I like Paul Storch a lot. I just, I like to, I like to one-on-one with him. <laughs> I'm still I'm still thinking about the concept. Uh, is that wars are inefficient because of all the deaths? I uh, I don't know what his point is specifically, and he maybe he'll bring shine back in later. Yeah, he he need to shine back in because uh, just because there was, uh, I I'm not sure if it if things are inefficient because there is death, right? I mean, de- death is a natural thing; everybody dies. Sure. So I'm not sure death creates inefficiency. The thing for me is that there's only there's very few states on this planet for which it's profitable and even possible to have interstate war. There's like, you know, like uh for you know, there's a lot of states where that's not even a not even possible. There are there are few states in the world where they can even have that level of uh well, again, anyways. it's not it's not really possible for the for the United States of America to have a war with Russia or a war with China. It's just mm-hmm. not possible there because of nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. So we have proxy wars like Ukraine. Interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. Right. So we, we can't have a full blown out war with Russia. It, it's not possible because of nukes. I uh, So, Paul, I'm going to get back at you. I'm not an anarchist. I am an anarcho-millinerist. <laughs> Anyways, let's get into this, though. So there is... This discussion in Congress, they bring forward these maybe possibly Bitcoin experts and they're talking to the government about how they should think about Bitcoin. And what did they have to say? So we have Brito was one of them. Yeah, Jerry Brito kicked off with this introduction uh, explaining to Congress what Bitcoin is. And I thought he did a really great job at that. I'm very critical. Uh, this is the thing with me and uh, Jerry Brito. Um, we only met briefly once at the Miami Bitcoin conference. I've read and heard some of his early work from like 2012, 13. He's great in those. Uh, I've seen those too. Yeah, it, it was very good. But then he starts this organization called Coin Center, which I am incredibly critical of. It's based in D.C., I believe, right? I uh, Probably. Uh, closest to government, probably based in D.C. Um, and, I, and I'll explain why I'm very critical of it. Because they were, they thought themselves as pioneers in creating the California bit license. So everyone 
So everyone agreed that the New York bit license was too much and it was too restrictive. Uh, that was the general consensus within the blockchain Bitcoin space. So they set out to make a better one in California. And people that are listening to this can Google it. So they, uh, they did one thing in that license that they're like, well, uh, the intermediaries that are holding Bitcoins with multi-sig. Um, so they, they changed a few words to make it a little less restrictive. But they were pushing for this bit license in California with their language. And they got into an argument with the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which has been fighting to keep the government out of the internet for the last 20 years. So EFF got involved and they said, no, this license is terrible. It shouldn't even exist. Bitcoin should be free to, to you know, do whatever it needs to do. It's way too early for regulation. That's what the EFF said. My suspicion with the Coin Center and is it Jason Brito? Is that his first name? Uh, Jeffrey? Uh, I thought it was Jerry. I'm sorry, Jerry Brito. Uh, my, my, I, think, my, I think, I think, I think. Well, we've been drinking. This yes, is we um, have been drinking. My suspicion with him, because I have seen his early videos where he's he's very he's like a privacy advocate and he, and he, he knows that it's good for regulatory arbitrage. I, my suspicion is that maybe he thinks regulation is inevitable and he thinks that a proactive role to shape it is good. Um, he does think that. That seems to be what he's. Do you got, think got. that's good? No, I, I don't think that. I don't think we should. Do, I think the, uh, there was a great talk at the MIT conference where this one guy was talking about how he started up um, an ISP in the early 90s, one of the first ones where he was from, and how he's gone through this whole long history of scaling and how we always have these issues. But he, his point was, stop talking about Bitcoin governance. You don't want Bitcoin governance. Everyone's interested in governance, and they think the problem with Bitcoin is the governance. And they're like, oh, BitShare has governance. Let's have governance. We can't get it because we don't have governance. Stop talking about governance. And his suggestion was we need to talk about the health of the ecosystem of Bitcoin. Just like, you know, how is this network working versus, like, how are we going to govern this thing? Right. Uh, no, I agree with that. Uh, and what happened with the EFF, just to finish the story real quick. So the EFF was arguing uh, we shouldn't even have this license. And they were really, uh, what's the right word I'm looking for here? Kind of aggressive towards the EFF, telling them, well, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're the talking about. The Coin Center was telling them that. Right. So to the were, EFF? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, they were telling oh, they don't know what they're doing. Okay. They were basically telling them, now, now uh, Jerry Brito wasn't the one saying this. Right, there were other people. Yeah, I there. understand. They were basically kind of telling them to butt out. Uh, and they were like, no, this is a good thing that we're, that's happening. The EFF is a really high quality organization. I know. Um, so the end result is some congresswoman, uh, local congress, local government, um, public servant, decided to veto the bill and not even put and uh, veto it for like a year so that it doesn't even go up for vote. And then Coin Center comes out saying they were disappointed in that happening. Mm -hmm. And again, they start arguing with the EFF. This is all in articles. CoinDesk had a bunch of articles on this. And I remember I was being so frustrated. Uh, to, this is what it says to me. That some government bureaucrat, and I don't respect any, almost any of them, understands like technology and privacy and kind of financial freedom more than you people at Coin Center? 
which are supposed to fight for Bitcoin. So I was very critical of that incident. Uh, and this incident happened in August of la- of this past year. So anybody can go look it up, Google it. Maybe we'll, I don't know, throw some articles if we do some research. But uh, this is exactly what happened. And ever since then, I've been very critical of this organization. And what happened in Miami, uh, Brito uh, gives his presentation. And in that presentation, the word money laundering is coming up all the time. It's like he's working on a way to help Bitcoin with compliance with money laundering. So as this conversation came to an end, there was room time for one question. And I made sure my hand was up early so that I was the one question that got to be asked. And the question I gave to him was, um, so do you personally think that money laundering is a crime? Because that is a question I like to ask to a lot of people. What is your opinion? Do you think money laundering is a crime? And he did not want to answer that question. He repeated it like three times. He tried to get around it. And I can repeat it. It's a very simple question. Do you personally, not your organization, not what you think, uh, not, not what you think the law is, not what, do you personally believe that money laundering is a crime? Because I wanted to hear what he, what he thought. Now, he, his answer was, no, I don't believe money laundering should be a crime, which is the right answer. Money laundering is a made-up crime by the government because they want our tax money. Um, anything else is pure propaganda, in my opinion. Uh, that's the only reason why this law exists. Also, so they can arrest whoever they like on the premise of money laundering. But so Jerry Brewer believes that money laundering is not a crime, but he has an organization that will help Bitcoin comply with money laundering. And to me, that's a contradiction. And I don't like contradictions. So what I told him to do in front of a live audience is to shut down his organization and go fight the money laundering laws because it will do a lot more good. And his answer to that was, no, that's too difficult. Yeah, no, no one wants to be told to go home. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, that, so that was one of the speakers. Uh, there was a guy here from IBM. I see Paul Snow's here. Um, I don't, I'm not familiar with all these people on the board, to be honest. Uh, do we want to talk about Paul Snow? I, 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 I don't think he belonged on that, um, in that group. Uh, I, I know he's doing Factum. I haven't been very critical of Factum. Uh, others have. I kind of just let it be. Um, I have to be critical of Factum by default because they created a token. Yeah, okay. Uh, that you have to buy. That they created out of thin air. Uh, I'm not sure how Counterparty works. One day, I know I, I hang out with Counterparty people. I never asked them how it worked. I got to ask them about that token. I don't want to be too critical because I don't know if they pre-mined it. I don't think they have. I think you just buy it with Bitcoin and Bitcoin disappears. There was a period of time, so I, I, I didn't want to talk about Counterbike today, but I'll talk about it. So uh, there was a, basically, they announced a burn. So if you sent to a, bur- a burn address is an address for which you can prove there's no private key. So they sent, if you would send one Bitcoin to that address, you would have at Counterparty or XCP assigned to your sending address. And that is how they distributed it through what's called a burn. So all the, so that 2000 BTC basically disappeared 
got no one has okay, access so to it. So you're basically just converting your Bitcoin into XCP, right. but no one is keeping your Bitcoin. Some people say maybe, maybe it's like a one-way peg, but no one has custody of those funds. It, 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 because it's a regulatory, that, that, it's a regulatory you know arbitrage play. That, I guess that's the one token I can't really complain too much about. It's a regulatory arbitrage play. They did, They made it an open source project. There is no corporation behind it, and no one received the funds. So, so I can't. So it was I'm just not, clever. Yeah, no, it, it 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 makes sense because it's fair. But I would fair. I would not recommend you know like there there is some price action right now happening in XP. I would not you know and I'm not trying to pump right. it or but, talk you know that's just it's just a technical understanding of what happened. But again, but I have to be critical of the factoids, just like I am critical of the Olga reputation points, just mm-hmm. like I am critical of the Ethereum token. You have to justify the existence of your token, and right. if the only reason you have a token is to raise funds. Very skeptical. Right. But again, well, now we're getting off the topic of the Senate hearings. So uh, Paul Snow, uh, the reason it came up is because Paul Snow was one of the participants. And if you if you go back and and hear his testimony, um, he got, I mean, you really have to break this down to the basics for these politicians. And all of them were, looked like they were in their 50s and 60s. Yeah. One point one guy said, I want to, I was hoping today to find out whose face is on a Bitcoin. I think that's a congressional joke, less than him showing his ignorance, but he's still ignorant. You know, yeah, that, that part, that part. I, kinda... I, th- I think that was a congressional joke, but like, that's the level of people we're dealing, dealing with he- here who, you know, it's like their comparison is physical coins. Yeah. I mean, that's part... the most abstract form of money I've, I've ever seen. <laughs> I, I kind of ignored that part. I mean, the IBM guy was there. He, They're all talking about, you know, Hyperledger now that they kind of um, have it. And uh, and also um, all these blockchains that are going to solve all our problems. And he doesn't believe in Bitcoin being very important. Uh, there was one of the lawyers there. And uh, Matthew Rozak, who I actually respect in the space. Uh, he's a VC. Uh, he understands what Bitcoin is. Uh, so it was nice to see him there, uh, and he didn't really he didn't disappoint, but he also didn't shine, in my opinion. Um, he didn't he didn't tell him what Bitcoin really is. Uh, and my takeaway, my general takeaway from those hearings was, they're trying to really sugarcoat Bitcoin, uh, they and the blockchain. Uh, and and only a few of them kind of believe that Bitcoin is the only blockchain that matters. But even if they're, they're really trying to sugarcoat it and they're talking about the future and what it can do and how it's like the internet, um, but they're not talking about the nitty gritty of Bitcoin and its main use, which is borderless, permissionless value transfer. It's really hard to go in front of Congress and tell them that Bitcoin's good for getting around their laws. Yeah. It's hard to say that in front of Congress. It is. It, it's really difficult. And I don't think they'll ever have anybody testify in front of them uh, that will tell them how it is. And But uh, to play devil's advocate, I think 90% of the Bitcoin community doesn't want anyone to sit in front of Congress and tell them how it is. I agree. I, I So the thing with Bitcoin is that there's, you know, there's a lot of people with very many different interests and they're all sort of like looking through the looking glass and seeing different things and seeing where they can involve themselves. For some people it takes form of like maybe they're a marketer, you know, and their issue is like Bitcoin needs to be rebranded as blockchain or maybe you're a coder and you go get into that or, you know, there people bring their own specialties and their own frameworks to this thing and then they involve themselves. And there are some people who 
may be well-meaning, but they're doing things which, um, you know, the majority of people who use Bitcoin currently, who are maybe like the underlying value where they're like doing these retail transactions and they're doing this regulatory arbitrage play. A lot, so they're, they're generating a lot of that value because they're moving in and out and always having to buy Bitcoin and sell Bitcoin. And those people, again, who are generating a lot of that value, there is a lot of speculation, speculative value and people are holding as well. But then you have these people who they think if we could just get rid of that activity, Bitcoin would be great. But if you get rid of that activity, what have you created besides like Visa again or Bank right. of America again? Right. Bitcoin becomes useless. Uh, I've been saying for a while, the financial industry has had the technology for 10 to 20 years to make instant, cheap, irreversible payments. They A, don't want to do it, and B, they can't do it because of regulation. And this brings us right into this topic is that in around the middle of the hearings... Um, I think it was a representative from Illinois, and uh, I don't want to pick on age, but she was probably in her late 50s into 60s. And one of her questions was specific to chargebacks. So um, she asked the panel, well, what about consumer protection? Because they're all scared that consumers aren't being protected, and it's the government laws that are keeping them protected. So the question she asked to the panel was, well, what consumer protections are there when you use Bitcoin? Uh, like with a credit card, you were protected on your purchases because if you buy something, um, you can always dispute the charge and you can get it back. And she was wondering what kind of consumer protections there are in the Bitcoin space. So um, I asked this question to you, Dan. Um, if, this, if you were sitting on that panel, how would you answer this question? Well, I guess I would talk about the difference between a credit card and Bitcoin is that um, a credit card is a pull. So when you give somebody somebody your credit card information, they can pull your money from you. And if and that's really why you need chargebacks is if somebody goes and takes your credit card and starts pulling money from you. And if you buy a product and then you like want to charge back because you don't like that product, I don't think that's a consumer protection as much as that is like a consumer benefit or something. It's it's it, it hurts people that sell things. Um, the real protection you need is when people go and take your funds and pull them because you give them your private keys when you give them your credit card information. And with Bitcoin, you push funds and you you know you you by doing that you're like consenting like here is the money. There you go. And if the person you're pushing your Bitcoin to, you know, maybe they don't deliver, you don't like what they do. If you have, if you know who they are and you may not, but like in the cases where you do know who they are, like there's, there's solutions to that just, you know, through the legal framework. But uh, anyways, that's just Uh, some going off on some of that stuff. So how, was that what you're thinking? Yeah, I was thinking, yes, but I I was going to just go right into the, the examples. But let me ask you another question. How often have you had to deal with the credit card company to reverse a transaction, to get money to reverse a transaction? Personally, I have never reversed a transaction. The only time I have problems is when Target gets hacked and they tell me I need to have a new credit card or the problem is like I decided that like, oh, I do something crazy, like go to a different state and make a new transaction. And, you know, you get they, a f- they all of a sudden your credit cards declined. And then they call me up telling me how they're going to protect me when like they're right in my fucking way. You know, like one time I was in the Bahamas. OK, I'm going to trip the Bahamas and 
you know, I don't have any resources in the Bahamas. I'm on a trip. I'm on vacation. And I was a drunk. Drunk, drunk, drunk as a skunk. And I needed money to get a cab home. So I go to an ATM, try to get my money out, and my car's declined. My car's locked up. Because you didn't tell him you were traveling. Because I didn't tell him. Because I didn't let him know. So I have to have a phone call with this guy pleading for access to my money. Because they were helping me by stranding me. <laughs> yeah, well, that, 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 that's one terrible situation. But have you ever, um, like, has, has your credit card ever been used like that wasn't you? No. It never happened to you? I'm maybe smarter than the average bear. It happens to me all the time. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's happened to me many, like, in the last 10 years, I would say at least 20 times I've had to deal with a charge that I did not make that I had to get reversed hmm. and I had to get new credit cards. You know what's probably happening? It's probably happening to me, but I'm probably not seeing it. Perhaps. But how has it ever happened to you where you had to call the credit card company and dispute a ch- something that you've actually made, but you got scammed by the private industry and you needed to get your money back? Have you ever had to do that? Not me. Sorry. Uh, I can't remember that either. I, okay. <laughs> okay. I, I cannot remember an instance where I had to fight with, I mean, I've done stupid things like, you know, let gym memberships go longer than I should. And I'm like, oh, I'm an idiot. They keep charging me, but I'm not going to dispute that. That's my fault. Yeah. The point is it's when people get access to your funds you don't want, then, then it's an issue. And with Bitcoin, the only way they're going to get access to your funds when you don't want them to is if they maybe get your private keys or something. And also, whenever I have a dispute with a private company that didn't send me the right product or send me a bad product, I contact the company. And you know what? Unless it's some shady company, they will fix it. Absolutely. And the example that was given there uh, to Congress was um, somebody's friend was buying some kind of chips, but they decided to buy it through Alibaba, through China. And the manufacturer and the seller promised them that they were the original chips from the manufacturer, and they weren't, as he found out when he attached them to what he was doing. And then he had to, you know, argue to get his money back. And I'm like, well, then stop buying cheap stuff from China. Yeah. Well, um, I think maybe I think consumer protection in this context, when it comes up from Congress, uh, I think it's probably like, you know, like the the credit card industry probably tells Congress, like gives the, like feeds them this kind of like terminology because the government can be really easily sold on like protecting people but it doesn't but doesn't you know it's like a almost like a meaningless thing right but they're scared of the wrong thing yeah the 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 fact that in my 10-year history there's been at least 20 instances of the credit card being used without my knowledge meanwhile i can't think of a single instance where i had to dispute something that I actually bought. And they're still scared of that, but they don't realize that if you are on something like a Bitcoin system for payments, even though that's not even my, in the top 10 use cases of Bitcoin, the entire concept of credit card fraud just disappears. And if you are concerned with stuff like that and you do want chargebacks, I could see some sort of insurance industry popping up there where like absolutely. Right, I mean. Well, not to mention, there's gonna be can, somebody willing to take a fee to to back those. I'll take I'll take it one step further. I'll take it that if we are to move to a Bitcoin system, there's no reason why a Bitcoin wallet can't integrate 
a pull system instead of a push system where you have, let's say, two wallets on your mycelium or two wallets on, or, or like a wallet on your air bits mm-hmm. um, that is allowed to be a pull from. Yeah. And then you just keep an eye on this account. You get a text message mm-hmm. every time it's pulled and you provide you know, details to certain entities to pull from mm-hmm. and you can be notified, let's say, a day in advance. Yeah. I will be pulling uh, 60 US dollars in Bitcoin from the following wallet of yours. Please make sure you ha- it has enough funds. I don't, I'm, I'm going to just, I'm not sure specifically, but I think payment channels and Lightning Network might be addressing some of that stuff. But I could see this, this is basically like you'd have cold storage, you'd have your hot funds, and then you'd have your very, very hot funds, which are the pullable funds. Right. But you would have, right. you know, you'd have like a savings, a checking, and like <laughs> this other thing where you can pull from, or your credit card, basically. That's basically your credit card, right. Bitcoin but, account. But, but again, <laughs> right, you can also auto, I mean, again, we're talking about the, this is the real innovation that could come. So these are the types of projects that I would like to see in Bitcoin and not but with the Bitcoin business. What I would like to see is something, uh, you get a text message and everyone can get a text message and it says, I need to pull $60 from your account. Please hit yes to okay it. And if you hit yes, your gym pulls $60 worth of Bitcoin from your wallet. Don't allow Congress here to, for, to have these like concerns which may be unfounded or solvable technologically prevent this um, technology from developing at a rapid pace. As government comes in, you know, and we waste our time trying to talk to government, uh, negotiate with the government, and, you know, the Bitcoin, um, did was the, was the New York City Bitcoin license good for Bitcoin, you know? What happened when that happened? A bunch of companies just, you know, bailed. I, 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 I honestly think it was irrelevant for Bitcoin. Well, the companies that, but, like, there was, like, I, I, we live in New York, but like, there's a lot of websites we'll all go to, and they'll they'll just stop me, and they'll say, "No, you cannot be. We're, you're not a customer we want." Yeah, but if it's something important, I mean, we're smart enough to know how to get around the IP tracking. Yeah. Okay. But uh, I I just don't do anything that important. Oh, look, I would love to use Tor. I don't use Tor because I don't go to any websites that I need to use Tor for, and Tor is way too slow for regular searches. Mm-hmm. It just is. I would love to use Tor and mask my um, web browsing for general usage, but it's so slow for general usage. It's useful for things where you really have to mask your identity, but because I personally don't go to any of those websites, as much as I want to use Tor and create privacy for myself, I don't. It's just not fast enough. You should know, Tone, and our listeners should know, uh, there's a white paper, I'll put it out. Basically, it's a research paper that describes an attack on the Tor network, which is very bad for Bitcoin users. So there are, I think at any given time, there's only like 10 or 20 Bitcoin nodes on the Tor network. That's a very small number. And in Bitcoin, if if your node tries to broadcast 100 malformed transactions, it gets temporarily banned from the network. That's a built-in thing into the code. And there's an attack which can be performed, which you basically broadcast transactions to these other nodes to get them banned to where the fact so that all Tor transactions in Bitcoin are routed through your nodes. And it becomes very easy to de-anonymize transactions at that point. It's not a problem as long as you know if that attack is occurring and there's an alert bell. 
but you should know that like there are not that many Tor connected Bitcoin nodes and you can maliciously attack it to de-anonymize de- it. I don't even know how to connect the Bitcoin node to Tor. I know it's that's so I'm just saying like people have assumptions about the privacy, but you need to know that there are there is a question of is Tor and Bitcoin are they together very good friends and they may at this point not be just because there are so few bitcoin nodes on tour and you can shut down the ones you don't want and be the, and be the only ones online and you can watch all the transactions coming through yeah i i i, I think there will be improvements in something like tour but, I think but i'll send you the paper you can see it i don't, no, no, I don't, no, think, it, I don't think it's fatal i think it's important to know right, though. i think we should play this clip so this, this this was the the very end of the hearings and the senator said something that most people did not pick up uh, but we'll play it for you and we'll put the video of the entire senate hearings in the show notes um, for everyone but here listen to what the senator had to say this is at two hours and 10 minutes in the video but we will drop the link in and i'm playing it right now since the observation was made that someone in the dorm room right now is maybe working on that whatever that next technology is i'll just offer that uh, at some point in the future to have my individual medical records only accessible by me, but the larger de-identified data available to researchers, FDA, whoever wants to study the cross-hybridization between this medication and cardiovascular disease, uh, the Vioxx story from several. So I'll, I'll edit it in later, but if basically he said, I want my medical information private to me, but I'd also like a sort of uh, more an- anonymized but generalized information available to researchers. Is that kind of the gist of his point? Yeah, it was. So that was Mr. Burgess. He ran, he was the senator, I, I believe he was a senator um, or congressman, I'm not sure, House of Representatives. Uh, so what he said was he would love a future where all the like his personal medical records and whatever drugs he takes uh, or whatever other, his medical history, he wants that to be private when it relates to him. But his medical, but the drugs that he takes or his medical history um, are not without his name attached to it. He wants that to be public so that researchers can use it and perhaps um, save the li- or prolong the life of someone like him and make sure that the drugs don't interact badly with other drugs uh, and things like that. So he understands what privacy is in the world of medicine because that relates to him. What I wish this congressman and all of them understood that that exact principle needs to apply to money. Your money should be only accessed by you and you should be the only one that knows how much money you have. Meanwhile, that same money, how it interacts with the global economy, that should be public so that researchers and policymakers can better, um, I guess, create a better world for for everyone knowing how money flows without knowing how each individual is actually spending that money. Um, And this is what I would love for politicians and people in general to understand that just how you think of your medical records and medical history 
that's how you need to treat money. But governments will never ever see it that way because their survival is taxes and they think everyone is a tax cheat. So they need to know exactly how much money you have and what you're doing with it while they don't tell you what they're doing with it. Mm -hmm. I want to see all public taxes and all public salaries public on the blockchain. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, all the private citizens have privacy in all their spending and their wealth. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, it, it's an, it's important to have, in my mind, It's I mean, fungibility is really important, privacy is really important, but if you have strong privacy for individuals and then you have the government on the blockchain doing their money transactions with Bitcoin um, and they say, look, these are our accounts, and you can trans... Because what de-anonymizes Bitcoin, one, is if you can be associated with the address so if the government says these are our addresses you can look at them that's great but um you know I, it, it is important for individuals to know that right now bitcoin is pseudonymous uh but you can do a lot of things with the correlation and um you can you can you can guess a lot of uh things about somebody's usage that kind of may de-anonymize you um bitcoin is not at the privacy level it should be yet yeah, Bitcoin is a tricky one, right? Because I see what you're saying. I'm just saying it's no, not at that level yet where you can have that, unfortunately. Right, but Bitcoin flip things, flips things on its head. Um, yes, you are not fully anonymous in your spending with Bitcoin. Um, governments or organizations that have already popped up, um, they can zoom in on transactions and they can identify people and they can follow a person. But what they don't have is a general net. So there is no Bitcoin company that serves as the deputy for the financial services. Banks do. So banks have all this general information and they know what everybody's doing. But it takes a lot of effort to zoom in on a transaction in Bitcoin and to identify a person. So to me, Bitcoin is pretty anonymous. Even though... If they want to get you, they will. And this is the opposite of what's happening in the financial industry now because they have this blanket. They don't need to zoom in. Um, they find out you flag. In Bitcoin, it's the opposite. You don't flag. A transaction flags, and then they go and hunt it, and they might get to the person. You know what my, may have made me ready for Bitcoin was when I was in high school, I was at my local bank making a, a withdrawal, doing my whole thing, and um, I was having I was at, having a poker game with some buddies, and he worked at that bank, and we were talking about stuff like it, it it was known that I had like I had made a nice deal and like I got some money in, and this guy told me stuff about my bank account that I didn't tell him, which tells me he plugged in my name into a local bank, you know, little thing, and he pulled up my accounts by my name. And that is not possible with Bitcoin. Right. In Bitcoin, it's the reverse. And But what you do have is that, let's say, you're, maybe they don't know who you are. They might know where your funds are coming from. And regardless of who you are, they may blockade those funds on the basis of their source, not your identity. And that's a problem right. as well. That, but it's but that becomes the more generalized, less individual specific issue. Right. But but because Bitcoin has flipped it around, 
there's no developers in government that know how to deal with this yet. They haven't caught up to the technology. Perhaps they will one day or they will outsource it. But right now, um, I believe Bitcoin is pretty anonymous as long as you do it right, as long as you don't buy it from entities with your identity, uh, which is a topic for another day. There's, there are certain parts of the government, though, that could that Bitcoin would serve well. And I, I imagine they're looking at it. But I mean, there are black budgets. There are like known billion dollar black budgets that exist <laughs> so there are people in the government with specialization in anonymous uh, I'm, use of I'm money sure, i'm not a conspiracy theorist <laughs> no, but I'm it's, sure it's not a conspiracy are. theory no, that I'm there's sure, a black budget I'm sure they it's, exist. it's kind of public <laughs> it's not a conspiracy guys <laughs> sorry i'm i and i because i am very skeptical i know people who very often appeal to conspiracy but like there are agencies with black budgets <laughs> all right so anything else you want to say on the on the senate hearings like the the overall takeaway is they're really trying to sugarcoat it and they're begging the government's permission to kind of not regulate it too much and that's my that, that's my takeaway when the real takeaway if you listen to some of milton friedman's early work is just ignore the government and build technology that stop that that doesn't let them stop you I'll drop that in the show notes as well. There's a video of Milton Friedman, and basically he, he, he calls out very early that it's the big mistake that Silicon Valley is, is making right now is basically welcoming regulation. And if you look at what's happening right now to Silicon Valley and Google and, and Apple and all these big – and Facebook and all these big data stores is they're dealing with right now being in bed with the government regulation. They're, they're reaping – the, the the what they sowed by welcoming it in when Milton Friedman made this video he and, called it very early yeah and when uh, when Dan said right now it meant it was to it was 1999 1990 yes um so in 1999 this was before Facebook Facebook only existed in 2002 that's when it came out uh, and uh, in 1999 Milton Friedman warned he said Silicon Valley is making a mistake because they're running to government to solve their problems and to give them permission. And he said they're going to regret it. And um, as Apple learning right now, they're starting to regret it. He said the money they'll spend on the lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> yep. He said just resolve your own problems and keep the government out of it. And uh, they didn't listen. And uh, I wish he was around to see Bitcoin. I really do. This is, oh, sorry. So we didn't talk a lot specifically about this, but we did get use it as a jump off point for a lot of good discussion. I think this might be another good hour or so. So let's yeah, sign off. There, there, yeah, there, there, well, that's because there wasn't much, uh, you know, meat in in these Senate hearings. I mean, just go and listen to them yourself. It was just a lot of sugarcoating. And uh, some people said things that were way over the heads of regulators. And other people talked about blockchains and not even mentioned Bitcoin. Uh, I, I, I didn't think there was much substance to these hearings, but... Uh, Encourage everyone to go listen to them themselves and uh, make an opinion. All right. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Talk to you later. All right. This is uh, Unconfirmed Transactions signing out. Tone Vase. Thank you for having me on your podcast, Dan. No problem. Bye-bye. Tony, Tony, Tony has done it again. Someone mentioned the Internet of Things. I just got to tell you, when we had the Internet of Things hearing, we had things here. When we had the drones hearing, we had drones here. I was so looking forward to finding out whose face was on the Bitcoin, and I still don't know, even after the end of this hearing.